Support for Pivot comes from BetterHelp. How do you know when your social battery is running on empty? Maybe you get a little snippy with your friends or perhaps Scott Galloway. Or maybe you just fantasize about canceling plans, creating one excuse after... You're fantasizing about me? No, 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 never. You're fantasizing about me. Again? Again? Not once. Not once. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. Get off my ad right now. All right. Canceling plans, creating one excuse after another, why you have to stay in. I do that to Scott all the time. It's not easy to keep track of how much socializing is right for you. Therapy can help you build more awareness of what you need and when. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy with licensed professionals. Scheduling is convenient and finding a therapist suited to your style is quick and easy. And we all know Scott Galloway needs therapy. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. You can visit betterhelp.com slash pivot today. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pivot. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners, too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher with a really bad cold. And I'm Scott Galloway with some news that'll cheer you up, Kara. The New York Times has decided to endorse me and Angela Lansbury for General (laughs) Consulate of Australia. Oh my God! We'll get to that. That is, ins- I'm sorry. They're endorsing I don't know. two they people. Picked, right? What do they? Does the editorial yeah. board only have one testicle each, or one? I don't know what the equivalent is. I, don't, I mean, literally, I, they're endorsing two I cannot, people. I don't. I don't know what to say. I think I you was, worked. There. I was sort of surprised. You worked there. It's your I fault. I did not work there. I, w- <laughs> I was surprised, and I, I would say we're going to talk a lot about lady issues this week because I, they would never do that to a man. I'm sorry. Like, two women. Oh, these are good ladies. It's just— We need a uh, group of them. It takes like a that. village, Kara. It takes a village. I mean, why don't they just throw in Hillary Clinton? It's just like, why don't they Angela pick Monaco. one? Just pick one. Well, they, they, I think they're like the entire electorate. They're like, well, we like Elizabeth Warren, but she can't win— and then Amy Klobuchar is kind of okay, and we, but she's the realist versus the radical. And well, I'm like, pick a lane, uh, yeah. you know. Anyway, anyway, yeah. do you like them doing it through the video thing? Do you, a lot of people thought it was like a reality show? It felt like a Trump show. But what do you? I, I kind of liked it. I thought what it was. I thought that part of it was innovative, and I loved how they. The, I yeah. thought the graphics online of the New York Times were fantastic, and they went into the pluses yep. and minuses from their viewpoint. I thought there was a lot of actually courage in the article. I think they came out and said, if I don't know if you read Bernie. He's right up, but he's 79 years old and he just had a heart attack, and and that's dangerous. And we need new blood. I thought that was surprisingly honest and uh, politically incorrect yeah. for the time. Well, that's what they say behind the scenes. Right. Why not? They, that's what they say but in the room. Right? But debating. I agree with you. I think if it had been an all male race, they would have picked one candidate. What it does, what it is an interesting argument yeah. for is plurality voting or rank voting, which I think is going to get a lot of steam. Yeah. But yeah, it did. It did seem kind of. I don't know. It just seemed very. Fox yeah. News wouldn't pick two candidates, right? It's only the politically. Or no. The well, they'll just pick one. 
Donald Trump and then Donald Trump. Yes, it was very odd. But speaking of of a lady, issue, I'm going to get to your Sheryl Sandberg rant in a minute. But I just want to say people loved our fight last week on privacy. I think we're going to have another one over Sheryl Sandberg. But people were on my side for the most part, by the way, FYI. But they were they were very pleased with you for going out on an idiotic <laughs> limb, I think. That's that's how they felt. <laughs> yeah, I have four of those idiotic limbs. I know you had a lot this week, but I'm saying they liked it. What do you think? I liked our debate. I, I was surprised that people reacted so, in such a way. They enjoyed the, the – they thought it was a very civil back and forth on a, an important issue and that we were respectful to each other. And we yet, were respectful, um, Kara, you ignorant slut. Yeah. But anyways, there's – no, there's <laughs> – look, I, I think it's important to argue to learn, not necessarily to argue to be right. And I think our society has lost a lot of that. And I think that yeah. if we have respectful – data-driven, you know, thoughtful debate will craft more thoughtful solutions, or at least that's what the framers initially thought. We've lost a lot of that. Yep, I would agree. Are we going to talk about our debate? Do you, is this part two? Is that what we're doing here? No, we can talk. This is, no, I'm just saying, I just noticed the New York Times giant piece about Clearview and facial recognition. Some asshole decided yeah, yeah. to do this. Like, I'm just saying, if there's no laws in place, this is how it's going to go. They're going to, they're, these little companies are going to pop up, and then there's going to be someone with no ethics. That guy who ran that company with the facial recognition selling it, someone's going to do it. It's like the cloning guy. Like, I think I'll just do it. And so we need we need the government in here to talk about this. I'm sorry. I think this is I think this is a, an important part of our society. And if it's just, you know, all hell bro- breaks loose, all hell's going to break yeah, loose. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but that's, that's different. There's some nuance here. There's a difference between technologies that run amok and can violate people's privacy and the need for regulation and laws to prevent people from doing that, such that you can't put on a pair of... Ray-Ban glasses and then see everything about somebody, including their phone number, and decide, you know, to abuse that information or stalk people or whatever. You could see where this technology goes a lot of bad places. What we were arguing about was whether Apple should create a a doomsday fail-safe box that no matter how dangerous that information is to, to national security or safety, that there's a right for people to have a place, a safe box, if you will, or kind of the ultimate safety deposit box that no one can ever get into regardless of the threat. I, I feel like those are two different issues. I don't know. I think these guys are selling to the government. That's who they're selling to. Anyway, we, need laws. we shall keep going. We, if there's another, we need laws. We need Agreed. a long and debate like we had about it so that people can really decide and then let our elected officials decide once we give them the instructions or put people in place. Anyway, it's a very important but topic just, that just we some, need to have much more. But just some observations, because I do learn a lot from the feedback I get. And I would say the feedback was sort of like two-thirds negative, one-third positive to my position. What I found is that yeah. people have a knee-jerk reaction, and they're triggered, and they do what Daniel Kahneman calls slow thinking, and that is they immediately make assumptions about their viewpoint because they're unable to separate the ideology from the person. In this instance, because Attorney General Barr and President Trump had proposed uh, or, or highlighted a need for a back door into into the iPhone. A lot of people were very upset about it and assumed it was the wrong thing to do. And what I found is that um, people don't realize or don't want to recognize, or there hasn't been a lot of discussion that the UK government, the Australian government, and the Indian government have all asked for a back door, and the Department of Justice under the Obama administration asked for the same thing. They just did it more elegantly. Yeah, and. Yeah, they, they all they've all asked for kind of for kind of the same thing. Yeah. 
Of course they want it. If I was a spy, I'd want it too. Like, I, obviously. It's, it's a thing. It's, it makes government life easier in terms of as people yeah. use these things. But eventually these people go to these encrypted other apps. It just goes on and on in terms of chasing these people. And if you give a backdoor to Apple, they go to another app, they go to another app, whatever one they're using. Right. And it just – it never ends and it makes everybody more vulnerable. So yep. anyway, it goes on. Yep. We're going to okay. move on. Because Google joined Apple, Amazon, and Microsoft to become the fourth trillion-dollar company in the yeah. world. Uh, they're creating enormous value for shareholders. This is, as you've been talking about, you own these stocks. We've talked to lots of people about this idea of where they go in the future and how they get bigger than ever. But it's tax season, and Amazon didn't pay any federal taxes, speaking of which trillion-dollar company, on $11.2 billion in profits. I am allowing you to rant right now about this issue. You like the idea that these are trillion-dollar companies as a shareholder, no taxes. Same thing with J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, Citigroup, Wells Fargo, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley posted earnings this week showing they saved $18 billion in 2019, more than the prior year, and thanks to Trump's tax overhaul. So, I mean, this is, like, great for a shareholder, not so great for a citizenry. Yeah, so the, like every other government policy, it is effectively an elegant transfer from the lower and middle classes to the wealthy or from small and medium-sized businesses to large businesses. And along the way, we are incrementally gutting the greatest force in mankind, and that's the American middle class combined with capitalism and democracy in a, in a free nation. And slowly but surely, we're eroding that. And our tax policy... Um, it's just more more evidence of this. What big tech is doing to avoid taxes is they're really the the ultimate kind of gangster move here around tax avoidance is international arbitrage. So effectively, Apple can license their IP to an international group in Ireland, yeah. and then they tax other high tax domains a licensing fee to use the Apple brand, thereby suppressing profits in high-tax domains and depressing profits or increasing profits in low-tax domains, thereby decreasing their total tax burden. And, and the general argument around the tax cuts for from Trump were that it would unleash all this corporate investment going from 35 to 21. And there was some validity around the notion that we had to stay competitive. There was a lot of these reverse mergers taking corporate headquarters outside of the U.S. But effectively, what's happened is big corporations or multinationals are now enabled to use this international arbitrage and their effective tax rate is around 11 or 12 percent. And that's the kind of the effective tax rate for big tech. And what you have now is if you look through history, you have corporations are now their total tax burden has been reduced by a third. We thought that was going to result yeah. in capex. It didn't. It resulted in share buybacks, which, by the way, benefit shareholders. Eighty percent of shares are owned by guests at the top ten percent. And small that would be you, right? That would be <laughs> I, you, I'm in the eleventh percent. I just missed it. So all right, okay. And then you have small and medium sized businesses that get the majority of the revenues domestically don't have access to this incredible tool of tax avoidance and that they're that big multinational companies. So like everything else, everything else, it's a transfer of wealth from people who don't have the backbone to think long term, and that is our elected officials. And we have to take some 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 blame for that for not electing the right ones. But if you look at lower and middle income taxes, they haven't gone up, they've stayed the same. Corporate taxes have gone way down, as have taxes on the top 1% who are now paying a lower tax rate than everybody else. And effectively, the real result of this, and what it turns us from economic policy to a moral issue, is that our GDP or our taxes 
they're not historic. We're going to do $1 trillion of our deficits, I should say. Our deficits aren't historic. We're going to yeah. do $1 trillion deficit this year. It was bigger in 2011 because we were trying to get out of a recession. Uh, as a percentage of GDP, they, they are now 5 or 6%. Again, that's not historic. In 1943, to pay for D-Day and Iwo Jima, they were at 24% of GDP. What has this... Yeah, I thought those were good things. What is historic about these tax rates is that if you look at the ratio of debt to GDP, that number, and then you look at unemployment, they have literally tracked each other almost perfectly. And that is when unemployment's at 10%, it means the economy's bad. It means we need to, it means we need more social services. And that, that deficit to GDP goes up to five, six, eight percent. And then when unemployment goes low, when unemployment goes to three percent, Typically, that that deficit to GDP plummets to one, sometimes zero, and during the Clinton years, even positive. What is historic about our approach to the deficit right now is that for the first time in history, we have a deficit to GDP of 5% in, a, in an era of record unemployment. unemployment. So basically, we have decided... You know, the deficit is no longer uh, ibuprofen. It's no longer an anti-inflammatory. It's cocaine to keep this party going. Which it is. What's immoral about this is that I love this notion of this construct, and I'll wrap up because I know I'm blathering on, but that money is effectively the transfer of work and time. If I give you money or if you give me money, you're awarding someone time. With loved ones, you're awarding them the inability not to have to work as much. And when we have these kind of record deficits that are now the interest on these deficits in this exceptionally low interest rate environment is now greater than what we spent on national defense. If these interest rates double, what we're effectively looking at is we as a nation have decided collectively that we are going to borrow or take time with loved ones from our kids and our grandkids such that we can have more. So this has become a moral issue. We are trading in yeah. our kids and our and, grandkids. And future. we're giving it to and Rich we're giving people. it to these Anta, tech companies Anta, or these banks. Big corporations that can take advantage of this multinational arbitrage. Anyways, that's my rant. I think this has become a moral issue. Oh, that's a good rant. That's full of math and everything else. This is not good. This is what basically what Scott Gallery is saying. This is not good, mathematically speaking. Um, obviously, we're not at Davos, which is happening right now. The president is going there. It's the World Economic Forum. We, we have both been there. I find it a place where rich people lick each other up and down, and so I tend not to want to attend. But Donald Trump is there. Greta Thunberg is there. Uber boss Dara Khosrowshahi is there. Mark Benioff told me he was going. Trump will give a speech on Tuesday, the day his impeachment hearing starts. So climate change has been one of the discussions happening. That's why they're having Greta Thunberg yeah. speak there. But these, these, these gatherings seem so, like, ridiculous at this point. And maybe it's just me who just has gone to these things and has sort of seen sort of the wheels turning in a way that I don't like, that it's so clear, exactly what you're talking about, which is that everybody else is paying the price for rich people. Yeah, and it's, it just goes back to this notion about uh, climate change. Climate change, income inequality, decaying infrastructure, we're going to need well-funded governments. And the idea that we've decided governments ne don't need to be well-funded is unusual. I, in general, I think you're wrong about rich people licking each other. Generally, I find rich people pay less rich people to lick them. But So that's our one point. <laughs> that's our one point. That's our one okay. point of departure here. It's just I, I like I uh, I generally think I think Davos deserves to deserves the criticism and the cynicism, but I generally find that these gatherings are a good thing. And my experience at Davos is that because people get together, that's what, creates, that's when Benny it creates was empathy. Me. You get like, to know other people, yeah, you understand them. I ended up hanging out with some guys from the Gulf, and I've always 
I don't want to say, I, I think I, like a lot of people, I have a tendency to stereotype people. And I got, I've got, I've stayed kind of in loose contact with them. And I think I understand, understand them a little bit better. But I think people getting together from different, they're just likely, yeah, I feel they're fair. less likely to declare war on each other when we get together on a regular basis. I suppose it's just like so much money, like Washington, these parties, those ridiculous yeah. parties. I'll have to say, um, I agree with you. I was, I've just been obsessively reading about Mohammed. Uh, the New York Times had a big uh, Zayed mm-hmm. in, uh, at the United Arab Emirates. He's running and he's the richest guy in the world, I think. He's $1.3 trillion in wealth. <laughs> That is at his disposal. That's almost more than Putin. Yeah, exactly. And he's been, you know, super close to the Trump people. It was There have been several really fascinating stories about him and his decision that autocracy is better than Islamicism. And it was, it was, it's been really interesting. I think he's there. And I just, I do agree with you. It's good that these people all go there. I just don't think everybody gets access. Yeah. And when you're talking about this issue of every, the rich getting, getting theirs and they have these meetings and decide things, it's just, it's part of that elitism. And there was a real pushback to Davos a couple of years ago, if you remember the protests. I was there one of the years there was a lot of yeah. protests. Um, that sort of died down. It sort of died down. And I, while they talk about climate change, the idea of doing it, something about it seems far-fetched at this point, just even if they have Greta Thunberg there. I don't know how she got there on a bicycle or whoever she gets there. But um, but it's it's really, I find it, I, I agree, it's, it just I just feel so uncomfortable in those salons and those parties of which, if anyone's been there, the parties are insane and the wine is insane and the food is insanely expensive and beautiful and everything else. I just, there's something, that's not the way I want my representatives to behave, but that's just me. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an unusual gathering. I think on the whole, it's, I think what Professor Schwab has built, I actually think is productive for the world. I think it's, I think the world is a net, net gainer from Davos, but I think the scrutiny they get and when they show up and talk about, you know, when they show up and talk about climate change and then board their Gulf streams, it's, you know, it's important that the media highlight the inconsistency there. I don't, but in in general, I think it's good that people get in a room with other world leaders and say, hey, we're, we're having problems at the border. What do you, I, I don't, I just think it's good when people get together. I guess, I guess. I think the fix is in, Scott, yeah. just the way they don't pay taxes. I'm starting to turn into uh, Elizabeth Warren radical, according to the New York Times or something. But you've been just, radicalized like, by YouTube. I don't, <laughs> YouTube, right, exactly. But um, uh, it's just, I, I think there's a lot, people have a lot, hearing whatever Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders is saying has a lot of resonance for a lot of people. It does, um, yeah. uh, Much more so than you realize. Anyway, we have to take a quick break. We'll be right back with a friend of Pivot. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Viator. 
Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome back. So this week, I did an interview with Franklin Leonard on Rico Decode. He is the film executive and the founder of The Blacklist. The Blacklist is a yearly survey of the most liked screenplays that were not greenlit, lots of which were not big blockbuster action films, but more unconventional characters like Juno, Spotlight, and Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, because of the blacklist, people notice them, and a lot of them go on to be produced. And last week, the Oscars, after basically uh, basically not paying attention to this in any way, nominated a bunch of white men. Again, not to say white men aren't talented, but you know there are a lot of stories that aren't about World War One and race car drivers. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post and how that did not need to be the case. So we asked him whether he thinks the streaming wars will have an effect on who will be represented in movies and television in the future. Let's go to the tape. I think that, you know, increased competition for talent in the business will require people to look further afield than the traditional places they've looked. And the sort of insane size of their slates means that those people will be left alone to make the things as they see fit, which I personally believe will make it more likely that the stuff will be high quality. Not only that, it's good business. If you're trying to make money by making content, you'd be a fool to not be focused on a strategy that includes a full embrace of the country's diversity. These companies need to hire women and people of color, both as talent, writers, directors, producers, etc., but also in the boardroom. And separate from hiring them, they need to give them the resources in order to realize their vision and empower them to do so with real autonomy because they know better their audience than likely the people that are hiring them. All right, Scott, what do you think about this? I mean, Oscar So White is back, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, and then it was coupled by the Grammys controversy. They had hired a woman to uh, shake up everything, uh, Deborah Dugan, and then fired her over what sounds like trumped-up charges because of the sort of old boys network at the Grammys. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think about this issue and what Franklin is saying? Well, I think it's hard. I think that stuff's hard to argue with. Where I think it starts, though, is—, is um, earlier again with education, and that is I'm a big believer in affirmative action, which at the end of the day, let's be honest, is discrimination when you pick one kid because of the color of his skin over or the color of her skin over other people. But I think that education, I think if you have more people of color going to the greatest film school in the world, and that is the UCLA School of Film, and also the distant seconds and thirds, NYU and USC, that's some brew and pride coming through, by the way, Kara. Then that you're going to have more people of color collecting gold statues. So I think it's important that the greatest upward lubricant and and means of advancement for economic power and to contribute to our society and to make our economy more robust because companies perform better. We're better when there's more diversity uh, that has economic power and the ability to tell these stories. But I think where you start 
is not with not with these kind of what I'll call artificial means of you know different awards or categories, which I just don't think work. I think it's ensuring that people of color have the same access to opportunities, including grad school, such that they can get on stage. They are making the movies. Look at Netflix and others. Have, have There's much more diversity now there in terms is. of movie making. And there were plenty of choices in this year's Oscar. I mean, J-Lo was robbed. I'm sorry. that If you saw that performance and the fact that she was not even named, uh, Greta Gerwig, another so you think amazing it's, you think film. It's there were a couple. You think it's that people I think I think the, I think these awards matter from a you know this is a worldwide television yeah. show they are making these movies and they're not getting the recognition yeah. in comparison and whenever there's a black movie or like pa- black panther or a woman's movie like uh little women which both of did, did amazingly well at the box yeah. office they're seen as an outlier oh look at this I think it's I think it's a mentality in Hollywood of this good old boys network that still exists that does this voting even though they've been trying to get the the committee that all the people that vote for the Oscars um, to be more diverse, and they've added lots of people overall into the into the mix, and they've been trying to do that. That is a hundred percent right. It still remains in such areas like the director's area or others. I mean, the difference between nineteen seventeen uh, and, and Little Women, I think, is ridiculous. Like, I, I which one did you see? Of well, these I, I follow. I, mean, I fall into the exact stereotype, and that is, I'm a white dude, and I I was. Dying to see 1917, I went and saw it this weekend. And I absolutely yeah. would have voted for that for best picture over everything. It, I thought it was incredibly good. Uh, because who am I? I'm an old white guy that comes home and watches documentaries on Hitler. I mean, that's how I relax. And you're right, unless- Well, everybody watches documentaries on Hitler, but go ahead. But you're, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, case, I'm exhibit one of what you're talking about. And that is, unless you have more people not like me- who can appreciate different types of movies, we're going to continue to, 1917 is going to continue to win. And I think it deserves to win. I think it's an amazing film, but I'm sure Little Women is an amazing film too. So I I, I agree it's with just, you. What do you do? Then what do you do? How do you think the tech industry could benefit? Like we, we did talk in the interview about, uh, you know, the Googles and the Amazons and the Netflix is moving in here, creating more of a diversity. Although I was like, uh, you know, frankly, you might want to look at the top echelons of these companies, um, which is very similar to Hollywood. But it's the idea of, of, of appealing to lots of audiences. I also interviewed Numa Perrier, who just did a great movie on um, cam sex in the 1990s she was a she was a scam girl um, did online sex online it was a great fascinating story and she's backed by Ava DuVernay's array uh, films but they're getting noticed and they're getting funding from some of these other outlying areas but you would think with more and more producers in the mix like or, or content people who pay for content like Amazon or Netflix there would be more of a push. Uh, for these kind of movies to get ahead, and you just, you just, it's it's sort of like tech and uh, and and then and the management, it just never changes. It is changing. I think the glass is half full here, and even just the notion. I mean, there's two things you can do, and one is what you're doing, and that is money speaks louder than anything here. And if 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 great movies that tell stories about and and by women and people of color make more money at the box office, more of them are going to get produced. The studios see an incentive and in pimping them for awards because that increases their box office take post them getting awards. And again, the gentleman that just died, the director that did Boys in the Hood, a fantastic film, James Singleton, was that his name? Yeah. I think he was the first black director ever nominated for an Oscar. He went to USC film school. We need more people of color in film school because it starts an upward cycle. So There's been one 
woman, I think like one or two women uh, as directors, and the one that won, of course, did a dude movie, like essentially. Yeah, it's a and fair I, point. I don't know. I just it's, it's the same. Point. It's the same kind what of thing that when their choices. So move to, be to solution. What do you think we do? I'm not sure. I I I don't know. I just I honestly don't know. The same thing with with tech. I really it, it just continues to be the same way, and the you know the amazing grip on power that white men have over certain industries is really quite. You know, they're not letting it's interesting. go. Well, it's really um, interesting you said I, that. Was the one woman who won, was that for Zero Dark Thirty? Yes, yes. God, that was a great right. movie. Mm-hmm. See, there I go. White guy it was again, a great movie. talking about the, the, yeah, the, the killing of Osama movie. bin Laden. All I can tell you is Jennifer Lopez was a revelation in Hustlers. She was amazing. And the fact that she did, uh, that just drove me nuts. All of them, Greta Gerwig. Have you seen Little Women? Probably not. I have right? not. You didn't go? I have not. Why? Because it's called Little uh, Women? You like big No, women? I like movies about war. And uh, okay. I mean, this is about war. They're that? fighting. The sisters fight. Here's what I want you to do. I want Scott Galloway to go see Little okay. Women, and then I want you to come okay. back. All right. And I want to talk. I want you to go drag your ass. Take your sons to it. Go all of. I couldn't get my sons to go. It was really irritating. My kids are I, nine and twelve. Are they going to enjoy Little Women? Yes, of course. Yes, it's very okay. beautiful. Yeah, okay. just go see it, and then I want to know. I'm what sure, I love it. And or and then you yourself can go see Hustlers. It's about strippers. You'll like it a lot. In any case, I'm very pissed. Now we're going to do wins okay. and fails. And my fail, uh, no, I'm going to have your your thing. We're going to talk about your your continued rant speaking. This is all about sexism yeah. this week. I'm on a thing. Your rant on Sheryl Sandberg. Explain. We're going to play some of it. Let's go to the tape, and then we're going to have it out. We effectively have a woman running around the world making billions of dollars telling other women to lean in, despite the fact her gross negligence let a platform be weaponized so we could elect an illegitimate president who is putting people on the Supreme Court who are slowly but surely eroding a woman's rights. Cheryl Sandberg is the worst thing that happened to women in the last 50 years. Scott, yep. as I have said many yep. times, Zuckerberg avoids responsibility while Sandberg takes the fall. I'm sorry. I just don't say I get why you want to focus on her, but he really is where the buck stops. And in so many ways, within the shareholders, within the power, within everything that went wrong at that company, it's his company. The amount of ire she gets compared to him seems smaller, except by me, Kara Swisher. Anyway, explain to me your your thinking on this. I, I think you're right. And I think that's a little unfair. Uh, I have publicly on CNBC, CNN, and I have tapes of producers said that I think Mark Zuckerberg is the most dangerous person in the world. I've called him a sociopath. I think you're right. I think the buck begins with him. I think he should be, I think he should be fired. I think he is a 95% stock decline away from having an orange jumpsuit. Uh, I, so I think mm-hmm. you're right. I think the buck stops with him. I think he's ultimately responsible. But that doesn't stop me from also highlighting the inconsistency of someone who uses an important discussion around gender at work to serve as fabric softener for him and her. I don't, I, I think there's room for both, but I agree with you. It, it stops right, what, with, it stops what, with What him. do you want to happen? What, what do you want to happen there in that situation? I want the board to feel pressure to fire both and bring in people who are going to show some regard for teen depression, our Commonwealth and our elections. I want there to be so much pressure on these two individuals who have done more damage while making more money than any individuals in the history of business. I want the board to hold hands and say, we've got we've to make a change here. And you're right, I think the first change has to be 
There's Zuck. Well, except that's not going to be. The I think case, it could right? happen. Doesn't he's, he's I think it fire. could happen. How you keep saying that the board, someone on the board, is going to get a dose of bravery? It is not going to happen. It is not. They're, the shares are going great. It could be the next trillion dollar company. By the way, it's the one yeah, that isn't. It probably will be. Probably will. Probably will be. Probably off will. the back of Instagram commerce is what. Yeah, I'm there's good. nothing like there's no reason to get rid of a CEO in this spot. I okay, mean, they m- get get rid of get rid of uh, the content decency uh, two thirty or whatever it is and yes. start holding these people liable and then start. Well, Joe Biden mentioned that. Do you think that was a win or a fail? I don't think he knows what it is. But (laughs) he said in an interview with The New York Times, 230 should be revoked because Facebook is not merely an Internet company. It's propagating falsehoods they know to be false. Uh, No one has has said publicly they believe Section 230 should be revoked. Uh, Why do you think Biden has decided to differentiate himself? I think he doesn't know what he's talking about. Just me. I don't think so either, but I'm disappointed, and uh, I think they've missed an opportunity. I think a lot of uh, income inequality, tax avoidance, um, some of the, you know, the the clip you paid. I was actually at the uh, the DCN, the Digital Content. I forget what they are, but basically the OP Online Publishers Association conference. And if you look at, uh, I mean, just what's happened over the last ten years or twenty years, there's been just so many negative externalities that have come from big tech, whether it's the number of journalists been cut in half and the number of corporate PR executives tripling, thereby increasing the ratio of bullshit spin to to people, you know, the largest police force mm-hmm. in the world that's never carried badges or guns. And it's, you know, it's not because of big tech, but big tech kind of embodies it where they now have they now have corporate PR departments that are that are larger in numbers than the newsroom at the New York yep. Times. So there needs to be I think there needs to be a thoughtful conversation around, as we've talked about, removing um, the content, you know, CDA. I thought it was a huge opportunity. There was a missed opportunity for candidates. And the only one who's shown the backbone to start talking about it openly and honestly has been Senator Warren. But yeah, I think I think that the worm is turned. I think the public is very concerned about these people. And it's not only the right thing to talk about, but I think it's an opportunity for a candidate who shows up and actually sounds literate on these on these topics. Well, so far, Even, though, the tech thing hasn't stuck with candidates because, like, look, yeah. Kamala Harris was talking about Twitter. Warren's tech thing has not gone anywhere. I think people are more concerned about other issues besides beating yeah, up you on might tech. might be right. I think that's they're going to sail right out of this, and that to me is a fail. But I think they're going to sail right out of this. And once whoever's in power, I don't think Trump will do anything. He's gaining from it. He benefits from the entire ecosystem the way it is. Yeah. And when then the Democrats get in place, they want to do it too. They want to have that. They want to have the ability to manipulate the American public in an egregious way. So why not use these tools? I don't know. I don't feel confident of anybody. So I think find them all failures. All of them, even though. So um, the the win, I would say, I'm going to do one win, is uh, Bill Simmons. He's a podcaster and someone I know pretty well. And he is in talks to be bought by Spotify. I think that's good for Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. You think? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, We'll talk about that. Say more. Say more. Quietly later. Okay. (laughs) Tete-a-tete. But this is interesting. It's an interesting uh, thing that Spotify is trying to – they bought Gimlet, obviously. But this Mm -hmm. podcast thing looks like it has legs. I feel good about it. I feel that's a win. I feel that's a win. Well, there's $17 billion, just as the uh, the success of a company oftentimes is more dependent upon how incompetent the incumbents are versus the actual quality of the company. And that is you'd rather be a good company disrupting an industry with just terrible, fat and happy players than a great company trying to disrupt an industry that's already fairly well run. And so when you have, you've had so much 
uh, value created by companies going after the media industry because media was opaque, a ripoff. You didn't know how you were spending your money. Small businesses couldn't advertise on TV, et cetera. And then you have the podcast industry where they're going after the $17 billion carcass called radio. And if you ever listen to radio after listening to satellite TV, just as when you listen to broadcast TV, it's almost unbearable because it, of the, it is unbearable. the amount right. of commercials and just how poorly produced they are. And basically the commercials just kind of educate you about what it means to be old and poor. They're personal injury attorneys, they're, they're essentially health remedies, and a lot of it feels borderline fraudulent. My favorite new ad that's run on everything from CNBC to all over the radio is something called Title Lock, where it, they, they talk about, oh my God, you, I didn't realize my house could be stolen online by Ukrainian gangs. And they say, unless you pay us $9.99 a month to protect your title online, yeah, you could have you your house that. stolen from you. And I, I believe that that is unfairly targeting seniors who don't understand that it's very unlikely someone will steal your house online such that they can get $9.99 a month. I don't think ads like that should be allowed to run. And the only places they run are on radio and on bad broadcast television. So anyways, a $17 billion carcass called radio advertising that podcasts are coming for. Uh, and I think it's a huge, it's a huge, it's, I think it's the only ad supported medium that's growing at double yeah. digits right now. And one of the reasons is people as evidenced by our delightful yet snarky readovers, ad readovers, mm -hmm. people like ad reads from hosts. They, yes, that they is enjoy where the money them. is. That's where you get more money. So That's you and I are in violent agreement on how just fucking awesome we are in this we whole are, podcasting are awesome. medium. We got to make some trouble, Scott. We got to meet quietly off to the side. And you don't think we're making trouble? You and yeah, I, we are. we are capital T rubble. I know, but I was happy for Bill Simmons. I love him. And I think- this Oh, you know him? He's a nice man. He's great. He's great. Yeah. I just, I did a podcast with him. He's really great. I know you did. He's a great fella. Anyway, that's my win. Good. What is your win? Uh, my win is uh, fail so, Cheryl Sandberg. Speaking of, of more white men getting awards, Peter Dinklage won Best Actor for an actor in a drama series for Game of Thrones. Oh, and Game of Thrones! You're back to that. It's so there's a there's a but there's a wonderful. His character is right. really wonderful in that show, I and I, I spent a lot of time and I'm virtue signaling now, but coaching young men and. And a piece of advice I give, give them is sort of similar to what Theory and Lannister said, and that is once once you own your shortcomings, they can no longer be used against you. Oh. And and I think it's important uh, for young, especially for young men, to realize to try and turn your bugs into a feature, and that is to look at the things you're most insecure about, about your physical appearance, about your shortcomings, and to find ways to make light of them and own them. And it's really liberating. Interesting. And I didn't learn that is that. the whole Scott Galloway jam. Isn't it? Yeah. You know it, sister. You know just, it. Come I can on. see that. So owning your entire, my, owning, that's how you base your life on Tyrion Lannister? Now I see things. Now I understand you so much better. Yeah, so your whole you jam is Tyrion Lannister, not necessarily the oh, actor, but the gangster. character. That guy's gangster. That guy, yeah, that right, guy come right. on the hand, Dinklage. advising people. Dinklage. That is, that's how I would have not, that's how I would have survived back, back then. But anyways, I, I do think there's real value uh, especially around young people, as you know, as people mature, they start they start making fun of themselves, and it, it, it's very liberating owning it. Right? It's like that first psych class you took in college, where you realize, oh my god, that's a thing. I'm not strange. Other people suffer from this too. So I, I like the notion. I think the win is Peter Dinklage in this notion 
of owning your shortcomings as, as right. a means of I have of, a of slightly them. opposite version of that, which yep. is I think women are always constantly looking at their shortcomings. So I always celebrate how great I am, and I talk about it a lot. Good for you. Because I think women do not celebrate their non-shortcomings, the things that are great about themselves, and they're, they're trained to sort of say, oh, no, or something like that. And so I tend to do the opposite. No, I do. Is, that's that's that is something I really do like about you. Is you're you're not afraid to say I just fucking rocked the house. I think that's nice. Go of your loss, Phil. Well, okay, you'll like my loss. It's about a white guy. Uh, so the David Brooks wrote an opinion piece. Oh, that guy. And and there was actually a couple. There was a very interesting point in the opinion piece. He was talking about he basically doesn't buy this notion of says the class warfare is dangerous and that if you. Uh, he cited some interesting statistics here, and that income inequality is more between companies than it is within the company. And that is yeah. what's driving income inequality is Google is just making so much more than any other company, but everybody up and down the ladder at Google is making a lot of money. I thought that was an interesting point, and there's some good research from MIT mm-hmm. that supports that. Where he lost the script was, he said, he pointed that in the last few years, as a percentage of their base, uh, low-income wage earners have increased their wages faster than the top wage earners. And that is just so misleading and so dangerous because effectively the middle class hasn't had a a wage increase in over 30 years. And because it's popped a little bit, there's a kernel of truth in there. But real income, and this is another piece of advice I give to young people, you never get wealthier financial security or it's very hard to do off of current income. You need to take current income and immediately start building equity wealth, stocks, bonds, 401k, property, immediately, such that you can create passive income, which is where you create unbelievable wealth. And of course, we've decided that the income from money is more noble than the income from sweat and is taxed at a lower rate. And that has resulted in the top 0.1% capturing 80% of the income gains over the last 10 years. So the notion that there isn't an attack on the 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 lower earners in our nation that there hasn't been this all yeah. out nuclear war on them over the last 30 years is just incredibly yeah. uh, intellectually dishonest. So my my loss David is, is is David Brooks somehow trying to find uh trying to trying to queer data to show that somehow there isn't the yeah. effect, effectively a class war taking place, a war on uh, poor people. Yeah, that's his thing. People like to hate read him. I'll tell you that. That guy, he often he's often makes people angry. But I do like your of the people kind of thing, even while you want to go to Davos. It's kind of a fascinating con- contrast for me. I keep waiting we, for them to invite me back. I am so <laughs> ready to go again. I, I never get times. invited. I've had yeah. dinner with Klaus. He's like, we should have you. I hear you're someone Professor interesting. Schwab. It's typical. If I, let me just tell you, a lot of men who are less prominent than me in tech have been invited. And I, he keep, I, I'm not, I wouldn't go. I went several times as the wife of someone. Um uh, but it's it's just an interest. It's just, ugh, I'm sorry. I can't believe you like it. And anyway, all right, Scott, it's always a pleasure. Likewise, I'll be back Karen. in D.C. when I talk to you next. Um, but I, we will talk later this week. And remember, if you have questions about a story you're hearing in the news for us to answer, email us at pivot at voxmedia.com to be featured on the show. Uh, Scott, we've come together again. People were worried we're going to get a divorce. Now, read the We Are Not, folks. Mom and Dad are, are together still. That's just foreplay for the dog and the jungle cat. <laughs> read read the credits, please, yeah, Scott Galloway. Yeah, okay. 
All right, today's show was produced by Rebecca Sinanis. Erica Anderson is Pivot's executive producer. And thanks also to Rebecca Castro and Drew Burrows. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts, or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked our show, please recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening to Pivot from Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on home mom? No. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.